Welcome to the Happy Startup School Radio. In this series, Lawrence interviews established startup founders and thought leaders. This episode is a conversation with Aaron Hurst, the CEO of Imperative. Great. So we're live. Hello, everybody. Um, welcome to this next in a series of interviews we're doing with inspirational thought leaders from around the globe. Um, so I'm Lawrence McCarhill. I'm one of the founders of the Happy Startup School, and we're on a mission to bring more purpose to the entrepreneurship world. And so we're connecting people through events, programs, and also uh, webinars like this. And today I'm joined, or lucky to be joined, by Aaron Hurst, who's the CEO of Imperative which is a technology platform that enables people to discover, connect, and act on what gives them purpose and work. He's also um, the author of The Purpose Economy and advises brands on, on how to be more purpose-driven and speaks and writes about all this stuff. So first of all, welcome, Aaron. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here, and I love what you guys are doing because uh, the entrepreneurial experience is uh, so challenging and so rewarding, and it's so lonely, so to find ways to connect people and to be able to have best practices, et cetera, is amazing. Awesome, thanks. Um, so that kind of leads me onto my first question quite nicely, actually, which was, um, <clears throat> I think in the book, quite early on in the book, you you said that um, humans almost have a universal need to develop themselves, to be part of something bigger than themselves, and also to be part of the community. So do you think that, well, A, does business have a role to play in this, but also, how can we, you know, organizations like ours actually maybe accelerate that shift too? Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a fundamental need. I mean, it's connected to well-being. It's connected to lifespan. Um, it's connected to, like, all the major psychological and health sort of outcomes is having that kind of community. Um, and I would say probably half of what brings us purpose is relationships. Uh, I think we put a lot of emphasis on other things, but in reality, relationships are at the core. So I think it's vital. Um, what is the role of organizations? I mean, I think it's the choice of an organization. I think those that thrive, and you see this in study after study, are those where you know people on the teams internally um, are part of a strong community who feel that sense of safety and that ability to be themselves. Um, I was just talking to a guy who works with you know hundreds of call centers, and he said even in call centers, the groups that are highest performing are the ones where there's sort of that authenticity, there's the sense of openness with each other, they call each other out when there's issues, because um, there's so much sort of open vulnerability within that. Um, I think few organizations have the courage to create that environment, but when they do, um, it's exceptional. Uh, so that's sort of on the employee side. I think on the consumer side, you know, I think what we're seeing is that the information economy has gotten to the point where there's very little differentiation between products. It's sort of things are slightly faster, slightly slicker, um, it's hard to do things that are truly, I think, uh, breakthrough. Um, and we're seeing that a lot in the investment community. There's a fatigue around it. Uh, what we're seeing is that, you know, as part of the purpose economy, there's an opportunity to figure out how to make relationships and community, not the sense of community like I've got 600 friends on Facebook, but real community, um, to turn that into a product. So we're seeing organizations that make true community, true relationships, their differentiator. Um, are finding ways to build greater loyalty with their customers and to be able to provide something much more meaningful than just sort of a, a widget. Sure. And just going back to the point you made at the beginning there about sort of vulnerability, I mean, it, you know, we're seeing more and more, you know, we were a lot of founders who are really following their passion and they tend to, you know, be, they, their values and their purpose are very aligned to, to what they're doing, you know, day to day. But in bigger organizations, how are you seeing that kind of play out? Because obviously, being vulnerable at work, bringing your whole self to work sounds sounds great, but obviously it's not something that people are particularly used to doing in a big company. So 
Yeah, how does that work from, from what you've seen? I mean, big companies are inherently unnatural <laughs> organisms, right? Like we're not biologically meant to be in that large of a tribe. Um, I think when you see companies that do it well, they break it down into smaller sort of sub teams and tribes, and then it's about norms in that group. Um, and if you're an employee at BP or any big company, I mean, you're probably part of several different teams or communities, you're not just part of one. And each of those develops a set of norms. And Google has had a great study out just showing that that ability to, um, have a sense of safety being yourself was sort of the thing that really correlated with high-performing teams. So I think it's not necessarily something that an organization does. I think it has to start with each leader, each team, um, setting that kind of a precedent. Uh, I, you know, there are things an organization can do, um, obviously, to create that kind of environment. Uh, but it really starts at that micro level of a team. Sure. And um, I mean, is, is, do you think there's danger that with this whole purpose economy that People jump on the bandwagon a bit because obviously it's we talk about authenticity and and you know this being a real thing is it you know have you seen any evidence that you know people see it as a new campaign and it's like let's be purpose driven because it's the new thing it's the new trend. Yeah, I, I mean that doesn't worry me as a danger. I mean I think I'd rather them get on that trend than a lot of other trends, so that doesn't bother me. I think it's something that's fundamentally tied to a deep psychological need, so I don't think it's likely to be a fad um, and something that just sort of fades. It is based on such a critical need. Um, so I'm not worried about it from the standpoint of it surviving or it being something that sort of continues forward. I think it is such a strong need and there's such a well-articulated uh, set of benefits tied to it. Um, so it's not like a new color. It's not like the newest fashion. Um, you know, I think there's also an adoption curve. You look at technology. I mean, we started off with technology with some countries using it, some industries using it, and now it's pretty ubiquitous. So these things also are on an adoption curve, and we're seeing the people that are early adopters, they tend to be more uh, trendsetters, right? Um, and the more cynical populations, the later adopters, you know, usually look to them um, for insights into what they should do next. Mm. And, and so where do you think we are on that curve then at the moment? Would you say we're still at the early adopter phase or was this going mainstream? I don't know. I mean, PwC just did a major study of CEOs across around the world. And it was interesting. I mean, they all pretty much said that by 2020, they see this crossing the chasm into the early majority and becoming something that is sort of dominant. Um, and I think when you see that many CEOs seeing it sort of change that way, when we see companies like PwC, Accenture, Deloitte, these huge consulting firms creating purpose practices, doing transformation work around it, um, when you see sort of um, most of the innovation going on, uh, being around the need for purpose, uh, I think we're you know we're really like getting to that point where I think we're not more than five years away from it being critical mass. Mm. And do you think that it needs to come from the, the founders, you know, the people right at the top for this to really sort of ripple through any organization? Or can you see, or have you seen examples of, you know, coming from the ground up? I mean, I think you could, I think there's pieces of it you can do from the ground up. I mean, you can have a product that's done well. You can have a team that's run well. I mean, you can see it happen on a smaller scale. Obviously, it's easier when you have that authentic leadership that's aligned with it um, and is pushing it and is supportive of it and willing to take that risk. So... I think as an entrepreneur, it's something that you know you should be aspiring to, and most entrepreneurs I know do aspire to build that kind of organization. I think at times the experience of being an entrepreneur is so challenging, and there's so much failure that it often puts us into our stress mindset, and in our stress mindset, these sort of more human elements tend to disappear. Um, it's one of the interview questions I often ask people is, um, you've told me a lot about who you are at your best. When you're stressed out, how do you change? Because we all change when we're stressed. Um, what does the stressed version of you look like? Um, and I think as entrepreneurs, it's really important to note, and I do it all the time, you know, 
you get in a stress mode and you're sort of uh, the dark side of the force starts to emerge and you got to find a way to keep that in check. So tell me what you like on a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not necessarily, I mean, stress happens. I think it's, uh, to, to assume that it'll never happen isn't fair. And I think most people really, um, it's a relief to be able to express and to validate that it's okay to have that stress personality as well, as long as you're, you know, have self-awareness around it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we've seen in our community, I mean, it, particularly if you're following your purpose as an organization, it's, it's not easy, right? It's, it's actually comes with more tension maybe than just following the traditional path. So yeah, that's a lot at stake. Yeah, there's so much at stake. And you know every product you build, everything you do is like it's your own child. So um, yeah, I mean you, it's definitely amplified. Um, but you know, I mean, my wife works at a large company. I have a lot of friends that work at large companies, and there you have a lot of stress too, just because you've got quarterly earnings expectations and other challenges that are very stressful as well. So uh, for startups, a lot of the stress is self-imposed, whereas I think a lot of the stress in big companies is extrinsic. And do you think for, I mean, obviously we're interested in, you know, early stages of a, a company with founders in particular. Do you think, you know, being purpose-driven is an advantage for them in terms of, you know, um, attracting people to their mission, you know, customers or employees, but also just, you know, for them personally too, in terms of giving them a bit more chance of success? Yeah, I think it depends on your definition of that, Lawrence. I mean, the way I define it and the way we define it from a research standpoint is being purpose-driven is about, um, you know, seeing work as being more than just about a paycheck, um, more than just about status. They're actually about helping people and growing. Um, and I think really strong founders, you know, need to be that way. They need to see their fundamental product as about helping people first and foremost, and about um, growing themselves as human beings. And if they don't approach being an entrepreneur with those two goals, you know, I think they could have a successful financial exit quickly. It's possible, um, a good idea. But to build an enduring sort of strong culture, to build an enduring product, to build an enduring customer base, it sure helps when you actually care about serving your customers and um, you care about growing in the experience. Because I don't know many entrepreneurs that you know, have figured it all out. If you're not constantly growing and learning as an entrepreneur, you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. It's that growth mindset. Um, and do you think sort of growing fast, you know, that kind of build it, flip it mentality in, in Silicon Valley in particular is, is, well, is it healthy, but also is it, does it, sort of contradict this approach, you know, can they work together? Can you grow fast and, you know, stay true, stay true to your purpose? Yeah, I don't, I mean, there's always examples of yes. I mean, I think I, uh, I worked in Silicon Valley in the 90s when it was not about money. It was more about sort of upsetting the status quo and finding new sort of more populist models for how to get information out there, for how to empower the consumer, um, I think Silicon Valley has become a very uh, money and status driven culture, which I don't think it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I think it's part of what ultimately will lead to its demise, just like, you know, I think Detroit and sort of the large industrial cities uh, sort of got so full of their own hubris and were so focused on the financial gains and not about innovation and not about truly helping people, um, but they lost their sort of core. Um, so, you know, I think Silicon Valley to me is sort of at the verge, you know, it's on the edge of a pretty major, I think, meltdown, especially when you see how inflated stock prices are and you see how strongly uh, Silicon Valley is uh, developing into a caste system um, around sort of the haves and have-nots, just like Detroit was, um, you know, many years ago. So I don't know if it's going to be next week or five or ten years from now, but it's very unlikely Silicon Valley can, with its hubris and sure lack of focus on really adding value, maintain its leadership.
And do you see the, the investment world is changing a bit too? Because obviously that's, I would say, where maybe part of the problem has been people have just been chasing investment rather than focusing on impact. So, you know, there's this big movement. Yeah, towards more flood a market with, and whenever you flood a market with money, it creates a lot of irrational behavior. Um, so I think that has definitely been part of it. But I think at the same time, you see um, there's an incredible trend where people are leaving less and less money to their kids and they're instead putting their money into philanthropy um, and more and more philanthropic investment. Um, and then there's more and more hybrid between philanthropy and entrepreneurship because so much of what entrepreneurs are doing um, is addressing societal needs um, and social ills. So you're seeing more and more of this blending. So uh, I sort of see both sides happening. One side, it's becoming more Wall Street driven um, and more of that just pure, how do I get returns? How do we turn entrepreneurship into a set agile lean startup process where it's basically a manufacturing model of innovation, mm -hmm. um, which takes sort of the soul out of it. Um, and then on the other hand, you're seeing uh, more money entering the market that's interested in more than just financial gain, that's interested in doing things that really matter. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I think that was our, um, so like our background was we ran a digital agency for about 10 years before we set up the school and me and my business partner were just really frustrated with the, the lead startup approach. We found it really useful, but like you said, it just felt very sort of mechanical. You know, it seemed to yeah. take a lot of the soul out of the, the projects and didn't really look at it at a human level. So there's so much there that's right. It's just, it's become a dogma. Hmm. Um, and it's almost like it's its, it's own religion. <laughs> yeah. any, anytime something gets that way, like it becomes problematic. And I think people have to recognize, I mean, the old model of like investment from the 90s and the waterfall development process was flawed. This model is flawed. The next model will be flawed. Um, they all sort of learn.